Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thanks, Jonathan, for the scripture reading. Welcome to Journey Church. Uh, once again, my name is Daniel. I get the opportunity to teach God's word today. We're going to be in a lot of places in the scriptures, but our primary place is Luke 5, 15 and 16. As you're turning there and uh, looking there in your copy of God's word, whether that's digital or uh, paperback, uh, I have a, a little quiz that we're going to take. You know, welcome to church. Uh, make sure you have your pens ready, sharpen, number two. Um, just kidding. But uh, just answer these questions internally. I have six questions. We're actually going to go through them twice, but I want you to be able to marinate in them. Okay. The first question, is life a race? Like for you, like is life a race? Is it a competition that you must win? And if you're thinking, I don't think so, like here the words of your parents saying, it's not a race. And then you think in, in the still quiet voice the back of your mind, like, oh, but it is. Like the grocery lines, like you gotta beat the person beside you and you gotta get in front of them or changing lanes while driving, guilty. Uh, and so life, is it like a race? Second, is it a waste of time to only do one thing at a time? Is it a waste of time to only do one thing at a time. It's called multitasking, right? Does it drive you crazy when you encounter a delay in your schedule that you've set for yourself that day? I heard some yeses out there. And so do you always feel perpetually behind schedule? Like if there's only just more minutes in an hour or more hours in a day or more days in a week, man, you could just get everything that you have done. This one gets a little bit more personal, but do you ever find yourself talking over others while they're talking because they're not talking about other things that are important and you have more important things to say? So you just got to get your thing in there. Are you obsessed with checking things off your to-do list? Like, does it, is it a win? It's like, check, that, that just gives me a boost of confidence. All right, let's go back through them once again. This time, give yourself one point if the answer is yes for you in any way. All right, let's go back through them. Is life a race? Yes or no question, answer is yes. You give yourself one point. Like changing lanes while driving at the grocery line. Is life a race? Is it a waste of time to do only one thing at a time? It's called multitasking, right? Give yourself a point, just one point at a time. Does it drive you crazy when you encounter a delay? Third question, does encountering a delay drive you crazy or does it irritate you? Does it aggravate you? Does it lead you to be a little frustrated? Do you feel like you're always behind schedule? Do you feel like you're always behind schedule? Do you ever find yourself talking over others while they are talking themselves? Give yourself a point if that's you. Are you obsessed with checking things off your to-do list? Are you obsessed with checking things off your to-do list? Okay, let's poll the crowd. Let's see how you score. Did anyone score a zero? One, we got one, okay. Anybody score two or less? Two or less, a few. Three, three or more. Oh, the majority of us, three or more. All right, so... This is what's called actually, two cardiologists actually defined uh, this test because they had this proposition in the late 1970s that type A people, like myself, were more prone to heart disease. They were more prone to have heart problems and they deemed this sickness called 
hurried sickness. And we just took the test. There's six questions that, um, that make us up the hurried sickness test. Don't freak out and call your cardiologist, okay? But uh, hurried sickness is defined like this. It's a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. It's an overwhelming and continual sense of urgency. Like I just got to keep moving. I've got things to do, places to go, people to see. I have important matters at hand. You see, in this hurried sickness, it's this urgency. In the late 1970s, I don't don't know if you caught that or not, this was defined by two cardiologists then. How has our world just exacerbated that so much so now with the 24-hour news cycle, social media, and all these other things, like if you want to make your life count, you better be doing something. You got to be moving. I mean, think about the rise of side hustle culture. We can't have one job, we need two jobs. Better or less, I need two side jobs because I got to be moving. If I have blank space on my calendar, I've got to learn to fill it, to be more valued, more important, and more things to get accomplished. Yet, the call of a follower of Jesus, how does this rectify with this pace of life and style of life with the life that Jesus lived? You see, my thesis statement this morning in week two of Into the Quiet is simply this. The call to be a follower of Jesus is not simply to believe the things that he said, but also lived the way he lived. In week one of Into the Quiet, we laid this foundation of the goal, of the goal to be a a person whose fortitude and character has been so formed by time with the Father that we can, with confidence, move into our calling of what we're not called to do, but what we are called to do so securely because we know we are beloved by Him. And this week, we're going to actually go back all the way to the beginning to start talking about the framework How do we even begin to pursue a life of a time with Jesus in the quiet? My argument is not by adding, but maybe it's by subtracting. Subtraction of things in our life because our heart is so full, our time is so precious that you don't need to just add a few things more into your life to make it more busy and complicated than it already is, but maybe it's about replacing some things with time with Jesus that'll make it even more valuable. Because I'm sure of this. I'm sure that you and I are very similar in this. We want to live a life that matters. We want to live a life that is valued and valuable. We want to make an impact on maybe the people in our closest circles. Maybe you have a bigger vision than that. You want to make an impact on the world. But if you are a follower of Jesus, and that's your frame of mind, I would say you're spot on right. But what you'll probably run into is that the way of Jesus is actually running counter to the way of the world. Because here's the truth. I scoured the gospels this week and there isn't one time in the entire Bible you find Jesus in a hurry. There's not. Like you find Jesus more often in things like this, Matthew 4, 18. As Jesus was walking beside the sea. 
walking beside the sea. You want to be like Jesus? Don't you dare go on a run, all right? You walk, all right? That's why you never find me on a run anytime. If you ever ask me if I'm going out on a run, you better be like, who are you running from? Jesus is walking. He seems to be moving at this unhurried, slow pace in his life. He was never rushed. We don't encounter things in the gospels like him turning to Matthew and be like, Matthew, get out of the boat. We got stuff to do. Nathaniel, tie up the donkey and let's get moving. We've got important things. We've got people to heal, sermons to preach, people to feed. We have important tasks at hand. Rather, what you see of Jesus is this slow pace. Does your life look more like walking beside the sea? Or does that hurried sickness test line up a little bit better? And I know what you're probably thinking. Well, Daniel, Jesus lived at a different time. There wasn't social media. There wasn't the internet. Like, and he didn't even have that much stuff going on. Like he was a carpenter with sandals on, dusty feet. I mean, he had to just walk places. He could have done more if with the modern technology. Listen to this. Mark 1, 35 through 37, the counterpart to Luke 5. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. You see, Jesus didn't do these things because he did not have a packed schedule. You see, he understood that there was a lot of people who wanted to see him and desired his help. This man wasn't bored looking for tasks to accomplish, but rather when he gets away in the quiet, everyone searches for him. Listen to those words again in Matthew or Mark 137. They finally found him and said, everyone is looking for you. Jesus isn't this nobody from nowhere living this life of secrecy. He's lived a life of secrecy up to age 30. And then once his ministry begins, it explodes. And people from every region and town that neighbor it all come to listen to him, to be fed by him and his teaching, to be healed by him. They're seeking out the most important person in history. He's needed. And the speed at which he lived his life was such so that there is more important things than another thing to check off my task list. And it wasn't like his tasks were trivial. He's talking about healing people, feeding people. Here's another place in the gospel which Jonathan read for us earlier, Luke 5, 15 and 16. Let's look at this together. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. You see, news about Jesus traveled so far and wide that the entire region came to see him and the busyness that we find Jesus in is a desolate place. It's the word wilderness. It's the word eremos, which our whole study is framed around. This word is translated as wilderness, lonely places, desert, deserted places, desolate places, or my personal favorite, as hence the series titled, the quiet place. We find Jesus not engaging in the busyness, but rather withdrawing to the quiet. And I know what you're thinking. Yeah, 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 Daniel, I, 
I'm, I'm not Jesus and I've got a lot of things on my plate. I've got people depending on me to accomplish the things in my day. I have stuff to do. It's really just our, our new normal of life. Have you ever engaged in this? I actually heard this three times this morning. And so it's really fun that I'm using this as an example uh, in the lobby. But have you ever uh, encountered this this morning of walking in the church lobby, you're getting a cup of coffee. Somebody walks up to you and says, hey, how's it going? How's life? How was your week? Oh, I'm good. I'm just busy. Anybody this morning, if that was you? I know there was at least three of you, right? And so, because uh, I was listening, I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. Um, and so maybe this has been you, right? You've Ask a question, you're just kind of feeling like, man, I got so much stuff on my plate this week. I can't even begin in this quick conversation to fill it with and tell you actually with what's going on in my life. It's just busy. Like that's the best way I can describe it. There's just always something to do. You know, we've never heard a person go like, hey, how's it going? How's life? How's it? How's everything? Ah, I'm just bored. Nothing much going on. Watched all of my show on Netflix last night. Really wondering what I'm going to watch tomorrow. Just not much doing, you know, just hanging out in my mom's basement. And uh, that's it. We would never do that. Even if that was true of our lives, if we were really bored, if it was the off season of your work, if you just closed out a chapter of the school year, you would never honestly confess, I'm just bored, Right? because we all would like to be seen as per people of value and significance. And so busyness equals significance in our minds. You know, there was this interview uh, last year with Warren Buffett, who's American businessman worth $105 billion. And they were asking him about his schedule, how he does his schedule well. And, and, and he was talking about um, busyness and life. And, and he coined this phrase, busy is the new any, any guesses? You can shout them out or just let me fill it in. And the new normal, the new pace, the new way of life. I don't know if any of you have ever watched or read this interview, but no, he actually says, Warren Buffett says, busy is the new stupid. Busy is the new stupid. And he basically frames up that there's one thing that nothing can buy, time most valuable resource that all of us have the exact same amount, no matter where you're from, what color your skin is, how much money you make, time. And we find in the way of Jesus that God desires to meet with you, not at a particular location, but in space and time. That the most disciplined thing that we could do is carve out space in our calendar to get alone with the Father to get alone with him. Subtraction, not addition, is the thing that we actually need in our life. If we desire to make and have an impact in our life to see the heart of the Father, we can model our life after the most valuable person in human history who said, I know that there's so many things I could be doing, but this is the one thing I'm choosing to do. Listen to this verse in Luke 5, 16 in a few different translations to get at the heart of this passage of where Jesus is heading into. The NLT, Luke 5, 16, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. But Jesus, this NIV, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. 
CSB, he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. KJV, he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. You see, when we read the Gospels, no matter what Bible translation you read, you find story after story of Jesus withdrawing himself all alone out in nature, just him and God. Rather, you find Jesus in this life of rhythm of a retreat and return. He had this pace about his life and he had this practice that impacted his pace. And his pace informed his practice of time alone with the Father. I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, man, I can't get out to Craighead and get alone with God and go out into the middle of the woods somewhere to get alone with God. That's not the point. That's not, you've missed it. I think nature is great, but you see, more than a place, the quiet or the ramos is, it's a practice that Jesus had this regular rhythm in his life that no matter what else was going on, he did this thing first. He needed time with God. You see, this practice informed all of his life. Before major decisions, we find Jesus alone with the Father. Before the cross, which we'll talk about next week, we find Jesus alone with the Father. Before ministry or deciding what town to head into next, we find Jesus alone with the Father. You know, there was this fad a couple of years ago, um, about 15 years ago, where these WWJD bracelets, right? Of these like, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Because we get in Christianity that the whole point is not just simply pray a prayer so we go to heaven when we die, but it's to live as his representatives here on this earth. If the point was just to be plucked from heaven, as soon as you prayed a prayer, it'd be like, gone, like, I got that one. Now move on to the next one. But we're called to not only be with Jesus when we die, but also to live as he did. What would Jesus do? With these different situations of our lives, how would he respond to someone who cuts him off in traffic? How would he respond to the boss who's short-tempered with you? How would he respond to kids who wake you up all throughout the night? How would he respond to a professor who's um, bearing down on you in a way that you don't agree with? Like, how would he respond? Well, what we see in Jesus' life is the pace and practice of his life informed all of his life that maybe instead of just asking that question, that you need to back up a little bit further and model your life after him so that you can so be deeply rooted in who he is that what flows out of you is as he lived. That you can't go all the way down this food chain and say like, check, I believe the right things, but you don't actually spend time with him at all. You see, there's all these objections to time in the quiet with God. Like, I'm an extrovert. I love people. Or I'm a young parent. I have a busy life. What about the mission of reaching people for Jesus? You see, there's all these different situations, good and bad, of things that you could be doing. Absolutely. It's all of us. But what we see in the life of Jesus is the way he modeled and structured his life. Think about this. The news of his ministry in Luke 5.15 spread and people from all over the place 
He blew up, came to him and said, teach us, heal us. Think about what the disciples must have been thinking in this moment. This is it. We've arrived. People from all walks of life, they're here and they're ready. Jesus, we're about to go global. We're about to explode our, our, this whole strategy. It's finally worked. But where's Jesus found? Alone with the Father. Because he got the whole point that he could, as the Son of God, he could have done whatever he wanted, but he modeled this life of time with him that we are called to do. You see, because the whole point, as Jesus boils it down at the end of the Gospels, when he's pressured by a religious leader to say, tell us what's the most important thing, as he tells them this, Matthew 22, 37 through 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. It's simple, right? It's simple. I'm just supposed to love God and love people. And if I've got people to love, then I got things to do. I've got this quick pace of life that I need to get on with because I've got stuff to do. Well, that doesn't make sense. Because if we study the love chapter in the Bible, if you know what that is, it's probably read at every wedding ceremony you've ever said in 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul goes through all the things that love is. He goes, love is this, love is this, love is this. The very first thing that he calls love to be, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient. That word means slow. That word literally means delayed. Love is slow. What's the speed of love? Slow. And I get it. I know what you're probably thinking. Like, Daniel, I can't, I'm not a first century carpenter. Like, I don't have that much control of things in my life. Well, what I want to simply propose before you is I don't want this to simply be a whole guilt trip of like, hey, you're doing too much. Cancel this out. I want you to hear the heart of this. One of my very favorite scriptures is Proverbs 4.26, where it says this. It says, give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Let's read it again. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. This passage at the heart, when you get to it in the context of Proverbs 4, is asking the son from the father who's writing Proverbs 1-9 through 9, is this. If you don't like the results in your life, change it. Give careful thought to the direction you're headed. Give careful thought. So in contexts like this, if the point of being a follower of Jesus is to produce fruit bearing with righteousness, think of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. If your life isn't producing from your heart the things that it should, maybe consider the person of Jesus and how he lived his life and restructure it. No restructuring, it won't be every, everything. And the point of the spiritual disciplines isn't to check a box, but it's to meet and encounter a person who can change your life. 
This isn't about checking a box. This is about ongoing intimacy with the God of love. You see, Jesus had this habit of slow living, this most impactful person in the universe and throughout history moved at the speed of love, moved at the speed of slow. He had a daily habit of slowness, of getting along with the Father that impacted everything in his life. He had time to encounter the person who created and spun the whole world into being and him as the second person of the Trinity had to be alone with him because he needed it in his life while he was on earth. And I get it. Our things fill up our calendar faster than anything else. You have so many plates that you're spinning at work and at home and things that you're doing. But just one stat that I'll throw before you. The average American spends three to six hours in front of a screen a day that does not include work time. Three to six hours. That's just average. So what would it look like for those of you feeling overwhelmed, like you don't have time, like there's things that you can't remove from your calendar, just turn your phone off. What would it look like to not add and feel this burden from this sermon of saying like, I gotta fit it in. Don't fit it in, create space. Our God desires to meet with you. You see, all the other gods throughout human history set up this location and said, come worship us in this building or at this altar or on this mountain. Our God created time and space and said, meet with me in the morning wherever you are. Clear out your calendar. Not everything can fit. You see, our God desires to meet with us, not out of duty, but out of love. Psychologists say the most impactful minutes of your day are the first 15 and last 15. In the same study of those iPhone users and smartphone users and average Americans with screens, say the very first thing they touch in the morning is their phone. The very last thing that they put to bed is their phone. What would it look like to simply replace your time on a screen with time meeting with God? Some of you at this point in this sermon are like, yeah, whatever, I don't know if I can do that. I'll just tell you what it feels like in my life when I don't do that, when I neglect the quiet, I feel distant from God. It's not that he's left me, but in my spirit and my connectivity to him feels distant. And often I revert, I revert to someone else's spirituality. I'll, I'll fill it in with a podcast or someone else's sermon. I'm like, oh, check, I feel good. When I neglect the quiet, I lose sight of identity, calling, purpose, and what I'm actually meant to do. When I neglect the quiet, I become way, way more reactive. You can just ask my wife. When I neglect the quiet, I lose God's perspective on life and what really matters. When I neglect the quiet, I get tired way more easily. I feel run down and I forget the true life-giving things in this world. 
when I neglect the quiet, I become emotionally unhealthy. The smallest thing can make me angry and yell at my spouse or my kids. And these are just signs and symptoms of a life without a connectivity to the Father who is the source of love and all things good and beautiful. And if you're feeling like I've felt many times in my life as a follower of Jesus, listen to these words. God is not angry and vindictive because you used to have a life in the quiet and now you've slipped off and now things have gotten busy. He is patient and kind. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. He is the God of love and he is patient and kind. He is waiting for us in the quiet place. You see, how we practice this, the reason in this sermon I haven't given you this just straight formula of do this, check this box and do these things, it's because what would Jesus do? I don't know, what would he do if he was a a mom with four kids? Or what would he do if he was a business owner that had to be at work at 4 a.m.? I don't know. But time with him in your life and in your life stage is supposed to be tailored and custom to that. The point is to meet with him in a place, in a rhythm in your life and in my life. You see, Jesus does not come to earth and you find this place of saying, I command you to do this. You don't see Jesus doing that. Really with any of the spiritual disciplines that we find in scripture, prayer, Bible study, time in the quiet, solitude, fasting, you don't really see this commanded, but it's always invited. You see, from the lips of Jesus, he simply modeled this life and made this invitation. Follow me. Follow me. Listen to this invitation from Jesus for those of you who feel run down and tired. Matthew eleven thirty eight 38 through 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, it is easy. My burden is light. You see, this isn't a one and done invitation that you prayed a prayer once at VBS or church camp and you're like, oh, I came to Jesus. It's this ongoing invitation of come to me. Imagine this. Our God isn't playing hide and seek like a toddler with you. Rather, he is waiting patiently outside of the busyness and the noise of your life and my life, waiting to speak. He's waiting to comfort. If you want a life of ongoing everyday intimacy with Jesus, follow him into the quiet. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for living a life that we could not live and modeling a life that we're called to model and follow you. Thank you for coming to earth and displaying for us perfection and 
end goal of living a life of love and seeking to point others to you. God, as people who seek to be living a life of value and significance and making an impact on someone else's life, we have to model it after you and point others to you. You're the only one who can give us rest. Rest for our souls for eternity. Rest right now in the weariness and heaviness of life. You're the only one who can give us rest. A Sunday afternoon nap is good, but you, Jesus, are better. For all of us who are doubting, for all of us who have tried and failed, your invitation is still the same. Come to me and I will give you rest. In your name, amen. Before we stand and sing, the simple invitation of Jesus, no matter how many times you failed, is come to me. There's gonna be prayer team members at the back that would love to pray with you if there's something heavy on your heart and in your mind. If you don't know who Jesus is, about this one who can give you rest for all of eternity, we would love to introduce you to him. But we're going to stand, we're going to sing, we're going to reflect on uh, our God who is so good. Would you stand and sing?